Live. Live. Live from... This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast with New York Sports Talk and Long Suffering Fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. i got a good show for you this week. We're going to be getting ready for the Masters this week down at Augusta. That's the National in Georgia. I'm be joined by our golf guy, Dan Martini, just a bit to catch up on the golf season, talk about what's going on in the Masters. All that fun stuff coming up with Dan in a bit. Also, going to do our pop culture earlier this week. We're going to do the Snyder Cut with my good friend, Nick Frieda. I watched the four-hour Zack Snyder Cut of the Justice League film, his originally intended version. Got some thoughts, and I got to say, it wasn't bad. Thought it was pretty good. Check out that at the end of the show. But get you caught up with what's going on in March Madness after an epic Final Four in the opening tip right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. Right, opening tip time here, talking about the NCAA tournament, the Final Four Saturday night action in Houston, in Indianapolis, and there were story two different games. The first game here between Houston and Baylor, not even a contest. Baylor jumped all over Houston, a 45-20 at the half, rolled to a 78-59 win, go 11-24 from three, and this is a game where, I know I said last week on the podcast with Troy Moriel, I was talking about Houston, I said, hey. This is like the example I mentioned from Ned's Declassified School Survival Guide. Ned gets the easy words, gets to the third place spot, gets a brutal word, gets knocked out in a second. That's exactly what happened with the Cougars. They played four double-digit seeds to get there. Almost lost one of them. Rutgers would have beaten that if they hold on to that 14-2 lead at the end of the second half. They let Oregon State come back. They were saying, oh, you know, the defense is going to be good. They're going to give Baylor problems. Baylor did not care. Baylor was hitting their shots. They had more firepower than Houston. This game was over. Baylor easily gets the final. The nightcap, however, between Gonzaga and UCLA. If you missed it, I'm sorry for you because you missed probably one of the greatest games in the history of March Madness. UCLA played the perfect game to knock off an undefeated Goliath like Gonzaga. They controlled the tempo. They made Gonzaga play their ball. They backed it up with clutch shot making. They made 57% of their shots from the floor. They shot 47% from the three. They got clutch buckets from Johnny Juzang and Jaime Jaquez and Tiger Campbell. Everybody's making big plays. And this game goes to overtime. We have some incredible epic moments in the overtime. Johnny Juzang... Misses his own shot with the final seconds. Gets his rebound. Puts it back. Ties the game. 3.3 seconds to go. Then we get an absolutely incredible 40-foot heave from Jalen Suggs. His time expires. Off the backboard and in. Gonzaga moves on. UCLA goes home. Gotta give a few shout-outs here to the Bruins, who I said we did not want to see here. I was wrong. They belonged here. They gave us a great game. They gave, UCLA, they gave Gonzaga a huge scare. And, I mean... Three of the five best games this tournament had UCLA in it. Whether it was the epic comeback against Michigan State in the first four. And think about that for a second. Michigan State led that game for 39 minutes. UCLA came back to tie. Aaron Henry had a great shot at the win at the buzzer for Michigan State and missed it. We came that close to having UCLA out before the main draw even started. They played epic game there, win that game. The game against Alabama was an instant classic. Fun finish there. UCLA moves on. And they go to the national semifinals here and give Gonzaga everything they can handle. The 14-point underdog. And I would have taken the point of UCLA going in that game just because they slowed the tempo down. But they backed it up with shot making. This is not one of those just tip your hat to the better opponent here. And UCLA can be very scary next year. Because this is a team that did all this without... Three key players, including Dacian Nix, 
was supposed to be a, their big recruit for the year, but he opted to play in the G League instead. Chris Smith, forward, was a Pac-12 player of the year candidate. He ends up hurting his foot in December. He's out for the rest of the season. If and they have a big recruiting class coming in, if Johnny Juzang opts not to go to the NBA, which he's going to be probably go be tempted to go checks the waters after his strong showing the NCAA tournament, if he comes back, if they're able to land a guy like Jaden Hart, he's a number two recruit right now, a Las Vegas native, he's going to wants to stay close to home, play out in UCLA. Huge win for the Bruins. And that team to get better than another year of experience. I would not be shocked if UCLA is in the national title conversation a year from today. Also, got to give your props to Gonzaga here because Gonzaga had not been pushed all season long. They had a couple of brief scares. Remember the, the WCC championship game? They were down at the half to BYU big, and they came back to one by 10. This is the first time a team has pushed them from the opening tip all the way to the end of the game. And they survived it. They made plenty of big plays in this game. Jalen Suggs all of his game besides the buzzer beating three. He also had that incredible sequence in regulation where he blocks the shot from Riley to potentially tie the game. And then goes down the floor. Incredible bounce pass to Drew Timmy for the dunk to put Gonzaga back up by a bucket. Drew Timmy himself has been dominating for Gonzaga the entire tournament. He led them in scoring four straight games. He also had one of the most underrated plays of that game by stepping in and take a charge in the final seconds against Juzang in regulation. Juzang was basically driving to try and draw the foul or get the bucket to put UCLA in, in the lead with seconds to go. At that point, Drew Timmy has four fouls. If the ref calls it conservatively, Timmy could have fouled out there, and the game could be a lot different. And Gonzaga could be going home. We could talk about UCLA being the first team to ever go from the first four in the national championship game. All the credit in the world to Drew Timmy for being that aggressive to take that chance. He's been a huge factor in this team. Joel Yai had plenty of big buckets in that game yesterday, driving to the rack, getting penetration against the UCLA defense. Corey Kispert made his shots. Andrew Nemhard made big shots. This team got punched in the mouth repeatedly, got back up every time, and just played a slight bit better than UCLA to get to that title game. And now as college basketball fans, we are very happy. We got the game. We want to see all year long Gonzaga against Baylor. This game was supposed to happen on December 5th. It got canceled because Gonzaga had COVID issues. Now, four months later, on Monday night, these two teams are playing for the national championship. It's going to be an incredible basketball game. The odds of being as good as Gonzaga and UCLA are, are pretty slim, but if even we get half of what we got in that game, we are having a fun final. Baylor, we thought all year, is the one team that has the shot at Gonzaga. Now they get that shot. Baylor's trying to win their first championship ever. They've not been to the Tuggies since 1948. Gonzaga, obviously, was there a couple of years ago. They lost to North Carolina in 2017. Trying to become the first team to ever go undefeated since 1976. Bobby Knight and the Indiana Hoosiers. The second team to reach the title game undefeated since then. The other one was Larry Bird's 1979 Indiana State team. They lost to Magic Johnson Spartans. We will see what happens here. It'll be a fun game on Monday night. I think if you're Baylor, you got to do a couple things. You got to make sure you're keeping an eye on Drew Timmy because you cannot let Drew Timmy beat you. I know Jalen Suggs and Corey Kisper are the headliners all the scouts talk about. Drew Timmy is in the engine for Gonzaga in this tournament. You stop him, you have a great chance to win this game. Baylor's got to make their threes. They made 11 against Houston in the semis. They shoot 42% from three as a team. Got to knock down a dozen threes, have a chance to keep up with this Gonzaga offense. And as we saw UCLA showed, you cannot let Gonzaga get out in transition. You have to slow them down. You have to get guys back and not let them get those easy, fast-break opportunities. Make them play for the half court. Give yourself a chance to match them up offense for offense. If you get in a track with Gonzaga, you're losing. It's that simple. And Gonzaga, I think the key for them, obviously, is attack the paint. Because Baylor's one big flaw here is they're not a very big team. They are capable defensively, but they are vulnerable to post. That means Kispers got to have a big game down there. Drew Timmy, you got to attack the, the rack with Jalen Suggs and Ayayi. Andrew Nemhart can get the rack. A lot of fun opportunities here for this final game. I'll be back later this week with Troy Morial to wrap our March Madness coverage. We'll recap the final, set you up a little bit for what we can look forward to in the offseason for next season. 
But up next, we're going to talk about the golf with Dan Martini right after this. And the 2020 Masters. The long-awaited Masters has a long-awaited champion in Dustin Johnson. All right, we are back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast. Time to talk some golf. The Masters is coming up this week. Early April tradition, not a November 2020 edition because of COVID. Back to kind of normal here. Joining me today, our golf industry professional, Dan Martini. Dan, how are you? I'm doing great. It's, it's good to be back in just a couple of weeks here. So um, it's an exciting time. Spring is coming. So all of you that have been dealing with the bad weather, it's, uh, it's, it'll be fun for you to watch because uh, the weather has been amazing down here in the South. So um, we're excited for, for the rest of this golf season. Yeah, indeed. And I know there's a lot of stuff going on off the course with the golf. I talked about this last week. We're, today we're talking you know, about what's going on on the course because that stuff is way above the pay grade of me and Dan. So let's worry about what's going on on the golf course. Agreed. Yeah. All right. So let's go ahead here. Let's talk about the Masters here. And I want to start before we go into this. I'm not obviously following golf week to week like you are. So like, what's the season been like so far? What have been the big storylines? Uh, I mean, big storylines, obviously Bryson, you know, continues to wow crowds with how far he hits the ball, but he's also just been winning uh, and he's been really competitive. Um, there was a, a great little stretch there for Lee Westwood um, as well. You know, obviously back to back weeks, um, Lee Westwood and Bryson were in the final pairing together, uh, duking it out. So it was a very cool time uh to see somebody young who um is just kind of still exploding onto the golf scene and really kind of reinventing the game go up against somebody who's more of that traditional who's who is kind of competing for the prime of career um kind of in the prime of tiger as well so you know really cool to see lee westwood who's just a great guy uh you know kind of moving towards pga tour champions still wildly competitive on the PGA tour and really found his game there for a while. And just had this, they interviewed him and he just says, you know, I was, I'm just playing loose and I'm not thinking, and I'm just enjoying the game of golf again. And uh, so it was cool to see these two generations, two different styles of golf there for a, a couple stretches. Um, there's been big time winners, but then there's also been like last week was, was crazy. The Dell match play for those that have never watched uh, the world golf championships, Dell match play uh, it's in Austin, Texas. And that event is seven rounds of golf in five days. It's the, it's the tournament that starts on Wednesday, goes all the way to Sunday. And the guy that has to, the final pairing was Scotty Scheffler and Billy Horschel. And they, they just looked so mentally exhausted and physically exhausted from how much competitive golf they had to play to get through the bracket. They do it at the same time as March Madness. So 64 of the top 69 players in the world uh, were competing, and it was round robin, and they kind of made it through from 64 to 32 to 16 to, to 8 to 4 to 1. So it was very cool. Um to see that uh but man by the last the by the championship match the their tee shots were just going all over the place it, it almost looked like and billy horschel came out on top but um it, it was just a wild finish because every tee shot was in parts of the golf course that they didn't have a camera even ready because it was just like whoa this is all the way up in the heather and but they recovered and it was basically who could survive and Billy Horschel survived. So really cool, great win for him. He's a great guy and um, very, uh, very cool for Scotty Scheffler too, who's going to be a name to watch in the future. All right. Good stuff for sure. And obviously we're going back to Augusta. We were there in November because of COVID and obviously the novelty of the November masters was cool, but things are slightly more back to normal in April. I mean, we're not fully over the COVID hump yet, but like what's gonna make this look different compared to what we saw in November. Um, obviously it's going to look very similar because the conditions in the South have been great. I mean, there's been a little bit of rain, uh, but it hasn't been particularly cold or particularly hot. It's been very comfortable. The last few months are the reasons I really big part of the reason why I wanted to move to North Florida, Southern Georgia area. So it's been just amazing uh, every day in the in the low 70s. Really can't complain, and um, it's just been fantastic here. So the course is going to look great. Um, there are limited spectators, 
Um, Augusta announced, uh, I think in January, that it uh, that they were going to be allowing limited spectators. I don't know where they netted out. I don't think they ever put out a number, but um, you will see some fans. These are folks that um, potentially won the 2020 lottery to come to the event. And obviously, because they won in the spring of 2020, they couldn't come in the fall because we didn't allow any spectators there. And now there's a limited number of those folks who will be allowed. And so I'm not sure where that all netted out, but you will see folks on site walking the grounds. It'll start to feel a little bit more like what we're used to, but it's still not all the way there yet. Yeah, that's a good sign. Nice to start getting back there. And let's start off with our, some of our look at golfers here with the defending champ, Dustin Johnson. I feel like it's been a long time coming for him to win a Masters. Now he has the green jacket. What do you think his chances are of repeating here? You know, it's hard to ever pick against Dustin Johnson because it seems like the weeks where he shows up and he's really focused and determined, uh, you know, he might be the best guy currently uh, out there. I don't think he's really beatable. Um, So it's really hard to pick against him, but I don't love what he is kind of trending towards. He had an amazing kind of start to 2021, um, obviously winning at the Masters, but then you know, he had uh, basically a, a, a tied for 11th at Century in January and then a, a top 10 at Genesis in February, so late February. So he's played pretty good golf up until this month. But um, his last three starts, he hasn't finished, obviously, in the top 25. Um, and, it, you know, it's just necessarily you kind of want to trend in the other direction. Um, and he also hasn't played a ton. I mean, he's only played five events so far this year. So, you know, I, I might kind of say that there are a few other hungrier guys out there it's really hard to repeat as we've seen um super super rare to see somebody kind of retain especially a major championship um i just would have i would look at the scenario and say there's five other six other guys that maybe i'm a little bit higher on right now now knowing that dustin has won that green jacket and can kind of focus his career uh on achieving some of his other goals. So, um, that's, I'm, I'm saying that the percentage chance, I don't know. I don't, odds makers probably don't agree with me, but I, I would probably say there's maybe like a, like a 30% chance that he would be able to do it. So I don't know if that's a generous number or not, but I, I would just look at him as somebody who isn't necessarily playing super hot golf right now. Um, but you can never count him out. Yeah, another guy you can't really count because just because of how hard he can bomb the ball is Bryson DeChambeau. And obviously not the showing he wanted back in November at Augusta. So what do you think about his chances right now? You know, I, I'm I'm really torn on Bryson because I, I'm always that guy that like says, oh, he's not going to win this week. And then he goes and wins. And then I'm saying he's going to win this week. And then he doesn't. So I, I've seen, I can't seem to really figure it out. Um I have to kind of go with the fact that Bryson's played a lot of golf so far this year. I mean, he, and a lot of successful golf. So uh, he's young. I don't know if he's feeling a little bit of fatigue. Um, he doesn't have a ton of years playing at Augusta, but I think his best showing was like a tied for 29th. So, um, you know, he's made some cuts there. Um, but I, I just don't know if he, if that course is perfect for the style of play, um, you can get into a lot of trouble as we saw, uh, in November. Um, you know, Bryson obviously had that crazy low practice round. Everybody was talking about how he was driving greens and hitting it over trees, but then he got himself into a lot of trouble. He, he managed to make the cut, but he just didn't go low enough there because, the risks outweigh the rewards for him in November. Maybe he's learned a little bit uh, from what happened in November and he's got to pick his spots a little bit better. He's a super smart guy, as we know, like he's like crazy analytics. So I'm sure he's looking at what he did shot by shot in November and he's going to come out and he's going to finish top 10. But once again, I, I just think he's played so much golf. It would be hard to to take him, especially since he looked, uh, you know, okay at Dell match play, but he, he didn't obviously advance fairly far in, in the tournament last week. So maybe it was a good thing. Maybe he'll be rested, um, you know, getting a good week and a half off here. And then, um, you know, cause we're at Valero this week uh, and then, you know, be ready to go at Augusta. So I'm, I'm sure he'll be focused because he's somebody who would be hungry, 
but I would love for him to have maybe had a little bit more rest coming into the than Dustin. I would put him at maybe like, I'd say there's probably like a 40% chance that he would win. Yeah, so that's a good odds there. The other big guy here, obviously, because Tiger's not here and wish the best for Tiger's recovery from the horrific car accident he suffered back in January is is uh, Rory McIlroy. And he's a guy who's won the other three. He's in trying to get that green jacket to complete the career slam. What do you think about Rory? You know, Rory, remember, he finished tied for fifth back in November. And so I feel like he's, he just is starting to figure that course out. And, and he's definitely a name to watch. He's been all over the place. So he's played several tournaments already this year. I think he's played maybe eight or nine events since 20, you know, the turn of the calendar year. Um, but he's been kind of a little sporadic. So I think he's finished in the top 15 four times. Um, but he's also missed the cut twice. So once again, he he did not play particularly well when I got to see him in person uh, at TPC Sawgrass a couple weeks ago at the Players Championship. Uh, really struggled. I think he was like ten over par. Uh, there was that kind of funny. Um, I don't know if everybody saw that on Instagram or on Twitter with Ian Poulter sitting at the table with Rory McIlroy and I think it was Tyrell Hatton or maybe one and one other guy. And they're like, "We are a combined thirty-five over par today," or something crazy <laughs> like. They just did not play well. Um, or oh, Henrik Stenson, I think it was. Yeah. And uh, they, they just, he just didn't have it that week. And I'm willing to omit that and look back and say, all right. Yeah. Rory is one of these guys, like you mentioned, doesn't have it really wants it. Maybe found something in November and uh, is going to come out and surprise people. So I, I would be on the Rory train um, just knowing that he played well at, at API you know, about a month and maybe about a month ago. Um, yeah, about the time. I think it'll be almost a month after he, you know, had a top 10 finish. So that's not that long ago that he was in contention to win. So I, I would be high on, on Rory as well. And I, I'd put him in the same boat as Bryson. All right. That sounds good. Obviously you're more tapped into the golf than I am. Those are my three casual names the guys who I'm really aware of. And you're a little deeper in here. So give me a couple of guys that you like, a couple of guys you might fade a little bit this week. Sure. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm always very high. I feel like a, a broken record whenever I do kind of like picks or whatnot. Uh, the names that I always seem to come back on are Xander Shoffley, uh, Tony Finau. Um, I, I like Daniel Berger. Uh, I think he'll be gritty and he's another guy who might just, he, he can go crazy low in a day. Like he, he's got that ability in him. Can he get off a, to a good enough start? That's the question. Um, but once again, Xander, Xander is really consistent. He's a guy who wants that, that jacket. Um, and I think he is constantly trying to prove that he's, you know, one of the top 10 players on tour uh, week to week. I, I just love his game. I think he, he does a really good job of keeping himself out of trouble. Uh, and, and that really is the challenge at Augusta is don't make those critical errors where you just blow up and you're, you're, you go from three under to one over in a hole, you know, if you can avoid those and, and he has the game to do so. So I would stay pretty high on them. Um, if we're, if we're truly looking at the odds, um, not, you know, not making bets or anything like that. Um, you know, I do look at Patrick Reed at, at 25 to one, I believe is what they put out for master's odds on, on CBS. Um, I thought that that was a, a little high. Um, uh, I'm, or maybe a little low, I guess, uh, for Patrick Reed. I, I think that he's a guy that, once again, he when you least expect it, he will come out of nowhere and and can command a lead. And I think he has, obviously, he won in 2018. So here's a guy who not too long ago has has had some success and, and has shown that he can win and play that style of golf. So um, do like Patrick Reed. Um I, I think some of the other guys that are kind of deeper down the list here, um, if, if, you know, Adam Scott is somebody that's kind of an anomaly to me. He's, he's going out at 60 to one. Um, and I believe the statistic was something crazy. Like he's played in the masters like 17 times. He's only missed the cut twice in 17 years playing the event. And I think he's got five top tens or something like that. And obviously he won it back in 2013. So, 
you know, here's a guy who is, even though he doesn't play particularly well at a ton of other courses around the tour, he, he, he loves Augusta national and has his game is perfect for it. So if you were going to kind of go deep sleeper, um, I don't even think he's that much of a sleeper. I mean, Adam Scott is always there and he's always in the mix. I mean, I was kind of looking at this a little while ago. Um, I mean, he finished top 10 in 2017 as well, but I mean, he, the last two years, he's, he just, he just makes cuts and he's always giving himself a chance. So, um, I would, I would stay high on, on Adam Scott, um, Adam Scott for sure. And I, I wanted to say Scotty Scheffler, if he didn't make it all the way as far as he did last week, because he plays a ton of golf and, uh, and could really, um, I thought his game was shaping up for a good run. It's just, it came, you know, a couple weeks early at Dell match play, uh, but he's gotta be exhausted. I mean, that was <laughs> once again, for those that watched, it's just grueling. Um, and then kind of a fun name, uh, if, if you're looking at the odds as well as Will Zalatoris. I mean, this is a kid, if you looked at, if you look at him just kind of compared to on tour, I mean, he is so, um, wiry is the only way to describe him uh he's got so much raw power and such a you know a, a smaller stature uh i watched him on the driving range at tpc sawgrass at the players championship and just uh, just amazed at how how much torque he gets into the ball he's super young uh but he's just burst onto the scene this year and could be following the path of other corn ferry tour players who have had some immediate success on the PGA tour, like Colin Morikawa and obviously more seasoned guys now who have come through there like Justin Thomas. So um, that's it. Those are my names to keep an eye on as well. All right. That sounds good to me. And if you had to give me your top three best bets, who would the top three be? Mm, uh, just based off of the odds. Um, I, I would definitely say Adam Rose, uh, sorry, Adam, Adam Scott at 60 to one. Um, I'd probably go with Daniel Berger at 33 to one. I really like him. Um, at, and probably Rory at 14 to one. Uh, those would be the best bet odds that I would say with, with a bonus, like kind of a, if I can squeeze in a fourth at Patrick Reed at 25 to one. All right. Sounds good. And Keith podcast listeners, we're not, in case you knew the podcast, not here, Dan last year, Dan did call the Dustin Johnson with the masters last year. So Anticipated winner pick. If you were picking right now, who is winning this event? Ooh, really tough because you're right. I, I, I was watching so closely Dustin's game trending in the right direction coming into it. My, my gut is telling me that Rory wants this thing. Um, my head and the smart bet is telling me that, you know, Bryson is so much kind of constantly up there and surprising people. Uh, and he'll have plenty of rest now uh, coming into the tournament and he'll be wanting to prove that he can, he can do it during competition rounds. Obviously we heard about his crazy low practice rounds, So he'll, he's going to figure it out. He's just, He's just playing a different style of golf right now. And um, I really think he'll get it done. It's, it's really, really, really tricky for me to, to pick Rory knowing what he's done. But I mean, and, and then now I'm sitting here saying, you know, and Justin Thomas won just a couple of weeks ago and showed that he can just go low whenever he wants and win a tournament. So I don't know. I'm going to stick to my gun. And uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say Rory is, is, is the pick this year. I just think that people are expecting, um, expecting him to be in the mix, but I think he gets it done because I think he wants it the most. All right. There you have it, Dan. Thanks all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go out, how can you follow social media, keep us on the stuff you're up to? Sure. Out of town, out of town fan on, on Twitter. Um, really just, right now um just trying to keep a close eye on on these late late free agency um and what the colts do every day uh, or don't do every day which is sign anyone uh and obviously right now it's amazing how much we care about the nfl draft if you think about all the other sports things that we watch it's like the nfl draft is just so much fun to see you know what you're looking for 
uh, what teams would, you know, what guys are now peaking because of their pro days, what guys are not. So I'm just, I, I constantly find myself just scrolling down and, and watching film from different pro days right now. So um, I'm kind of on Twitter commenting about all of that stuff and, um, and uh, you know, just, just haven't been doing any podcasts really other than this one. So um, I'm with you. And uh, enjoying, as we mentioned uh, on, on the podcast a few weeks ago, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And um, I really liked episode two, by the way. How did you feel about it? I liked it a lot. And one other thing I'm going to talk about on the podcast, our friend Nick Friday is coming up next year. We're talking about the Snyder Cut. And I know you've seen that. How big a fan were you of that? Huge fan. I won't get into it because Nikki's going to have a lot of opinions. But Nikki and I agreed on a lot of things when we kind of spoke um, uh, last week. I four hours and six minutes. I enjoyed every minute of it. Um, I really, really loved the character development and, uh, I, I, especially with the flash, I, I I thought that, you know, the, what, how they kind of represented Barry Allen more and, and really showed his true abilities. He wasn't just a, he was still a punk funny kid, but he also had brought a lot of like, just just connectivity to the rest of the group um and i i loved all those extended fight scenes so so good i it 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 renewed my like faith in what dc had done with those characters um I, i i would watch another four hours and and i can't believe that you know Zack snyder's I guess from what I'm hearing, he might be kind of done, but I'm like, please don't come back, do this. Give me more of this because um, I, I liked, I liked it a little bit more. I thought it was very um, bold, a very bold vision of what that story is. And, and um, the villains were excellent and the CGI was amazing. So I, I, I probably wait a couple months and then watch it again. Cause it was that good. Yeah, indeed. Hopefully Nick and I won't spend four hours talking about it, but we'll be talking about it right after this. charging bull and don't wave the red cape at it. You were sent here for a reason. And even if it takes you the rest of your life, find out what that reason is. Of heroes will never come again. It will. It has to. We live in a society where honor is a distant memory. Isn't that right? All right, we are back here on the podcast. You guys heard the epic trailer for the Snyder Cut, the four-and-a-half, four-hour, six-minute cut of Justice League, originally intended by Zack Snyder, uh, now on HBO Max. I have watched it after I saw social media go on fire. Also joined by somebody else who's watched it. And you know him from the sky, guys. We've done a little bit of Marvel. Now we're going into DC with Nick Friday here. Nick, how are you? Doing good. 
Uh, very excited to be out about this. Um, wasn't expecting to get the call about this at all, but I'm a big DC fan, so I'm definitely excited to jump into this. Now, I know when this came out last year, the word that Snyder was going to do this, because everybody knows the backstory. If you have not, he was the guy behind the DC sort of extended universe, the counter to Marvel. He does the Man of Steel. He does Batman v Superman, sets up Justice League. He starts working the project, ends up leading for a personal matter. DC brings in Joss Whedon to finish it. Movies not go as planned. He says, hey, I had a vision that was better. Last year during the pandemic, HBO Max says, okay, Zack Snyder, here's some money. Finish up your cut. And we'll put it on the surface. So when the news of this came out, what did you think? I just, you know, I didn't see the original, which is, I think, a main reason that I'm here today is because, well, I have now, but when this was announced and up until tonight as of recording, I did not watch the original Justice League. So for me, it was like, here we go again, DC trying to cover their tracks or trying to like, you know, hide what was wrong with it. Cause I actually heard recently, I heard this today or yesterday. I, I don't know how to pronounce the name. Is it David Ayer? Ayer? I think it's Ayer. Ayer, the, the, he did the, uh, the Suicide Squad. He's saying the same thing. He's like, I have a better movie too. Let me release mine. And I feel like this is going to be a trend now of people saying it wasn't my fault that it was bad. It, it was the, you know, it was, it was the suits. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was DC's fault, not my fault. Right. It was, it was Warner Brothers. It was DC or whatever. But, you know, overall, that was my reaction was they're going to try to cover their tracks with something here. Just admit you didn't do a good job. But I didn't see it. So it was hard for me to say, like, it was bad or it was good because I didn't see it. But that's how I felt as you're trying to cover your tracks. So you said you were a big DC guy. So why did you not see Justice League when it came out back a couple of years ago? Well, I hated the the build up to it. I I saw Man of Steel. And it was I liked it. It was good. I saw it like opening weekend or whatever it was. And I saw Batman vs Superman and I fell asleep like three times <laughs> in the theater. I, I really did. I was, you know, I, I was very tired from work, but that's, you know, I, I, that wasn't because the movie was not entertaining. I just, I actually fell asleep three times in the movie and I was like, I don't understand the movie. It was so dark. And then suicide squad was just awful. So I just, I was just like, they're, I don't know what they're doing. They're just throwing this thing down a hole. This whole thing was just ruined, and I hated it. So I just didn't. I was just like, I have no interest in this universe. And I like, I mentioned to you before, I really like the the DC television universe with um, Flash and Arrow and all those shows, and Arrow's over. But And I just didn't like the way they casted Flash. And I was like, I don't like the way they're doing this stuff. I like the TV version better. And it's just a lot of just, things that I didn't agree with. So I just didn't want to see it. I had zero interest in seeing it. Okay. So two follow-up questions. Number one, you never saw the original wonder woman. Uh, still haven't seen that one. To my opinion, that's still the best wonder woman. The best DC movies come out to that point is the original is wonder woman one. In my opinion, I haven't seen that one yet. I have watched, as I mentioned, those three. And then now I've seen the Snyder cut and the other original justice league as well. And number two, you were not inspired by the fact that Superman and Batman bother the fact that both the mothers are both named Martha. That didn't get me. I remember sitting there saying, "I don't understand." What was Mar- I, at first, it didn't click with me. I was like, "What? Well, why did Martha work?" And whoever I saw it with, like, because they're mom. And I'm like, "Wait, what?" I guess <laughs> doesn't make any sense. But yeah. I, you know, that movie. That movie was. I think that movie was. Um, I don't like it. I just don't think it's bad. But I don't think it was as bad as. The ratings were. I don't think it was good by any means, but it was. I don't think it was as bad as the ratings says it was. I think the problem was there was so much hype with that, and then you deliver that product, it automatically just sours a lot of people on what the, what's going to come. Right. Yeah, and I will say before we get into it, that movie especially, and then this movie too, Ben Affleck, not a bad Batman at all. I don't mind him as Batman whatsoever. When it was announced, I was like Ben Affleck, but you're good. Yeah, Ben Affleck's a solid Batman. I don't think he gets the amount of praise he should for the way he acts in the role. I think part of it is the writing it does not do him justice most of the time. But I also want well, to admit, too, I saw the runtime. I said it's four hours. At first, I was like, oh, God, somebody needs to tell Zack Snyder this thing called editing where you actually cut the film down and not don't just put every single idea you have to pen to paper. But when did the four-hour runtime bother you when you watched this? It did a little bit. Uh, a little bit. I I knew I wasn't going to make it in one sitting. I did it in two. I did an hour and 40 minutes or so the first time, and then I just finished it up the second. Like, it was the same day that I had done it. I just took a break during the day. But it bothered me a little bit. It was too long. It, it's not meant for one sitting, I guess. But the good thing is 
it is separated by those parts. So you could put it down for a little bit if you wanted to at a certain spot and not feel like you're pausing in the middle of a scene. And also, after watching the original one tonight, it's it's it needed to be that long. Yeah. It's it they could have done a two movie thing like how they did with the not a big Harry Potter fan. Help me out here. What are the names of the last two? It was a Deathly Hallows part one and part two. Yeah, they could have done something like that. They could have, you know, they, they could have also, which I think they should have done, is released the Flash movie and the Aquaman movie a couple of years before, but they didn't. So this is what they needed to do. Yeah, let's, let's not waste any more time here with the non-spoiler talk. I'll give you the spoiler warning here. Okay, if you are not going, if you have not watched the four-hour, six-minute Snyder cut yet and you care about being spoiled... Stop. Come back about three days after you watch the full movie. Come back, and we'll let fill you in what's going on here. But I'd say I agree with you on the runtime. I think the problem is here is that there's a lot of good stuff here. I think there's a three-hour cut to be made of this, where this is a three-hour solid movie that is very good. I think four hours I think, was pushing it a little too much, in my opinion. Yeah, I think about it simply like this. The scene with uh, Barry Allen and Iris at the way beginning was at the pet shop. That was like a 15-minute scene. That could have been three. You know, I did read that somewhere, I read somewhere that 10% of the film was shot in slow motion, the Snyder Cut, that is. Yeah. Think about that. You get rid of that, it's 10% of your film already. Yeah. That's pretty – that is a lot. And, I mean, I think the biggest problem you said is that, obviously, I mean, we got a lot more backstory on the people we hadn't had films on yet, which was Aquaman, Cyborg especially. gets a huge more chunk more backstory than gets the original Justice League cut. And the Flash. And I think, to your point, I think this is the problem the way DC was building. Because they saw that Avengers and Avengers Age of Ultron each made over a billion dollars. Like, ooh, we put all our guys in one film. We're going to make a a boatload of money. And then they didn't do the work. When all of a sudden, like, in Original Avengers, you've seen five of the six. And Hawkeye's the only guy you haven't shown up yet. And all of a sudden, he just tied the bad guy of the whole movie. So it's not a big deal. But here, you've seen the Flash and Aquaman... And Cyborg ran until about like two minutes total. So you have to explain all three of them. That's a lot of wasted inventory in your film. Yeah, I think that's exactly what drew it down. I don't think the, you know, I watched, as I mentioned several times already, I watched the original tonight. I don't think it was a bad movie at all. I think it, I think it was fine. But they had to spend too much time explaining these characters and they didn't have the time for it. And I noticed that, I don't know if you noticed this, the original cut of Justice League the 2017 version is literally exactly two hours to the second. Yeah. And that was, and I knew, I knew that there was like a, a mandate from DC from Warner brothers to get it under two hours. It was literally including credits, two hours, two, zero minutes and zero seconds, like exactly. And that's clearly just cutting stuff down to, you know, fit the time frame. Yeah. I think the biggest victim is cyborg because cyborg is, I don't know if you agree. With me. I think Cyborg's the main character, the Snyder Cut. I feel like it's, this is his movie, I and mean, we get his entire backstory. He's sort of the one leading the charge for most of this. I think Cyborg is the MVP in the movie to me. Because I mean, he's such a yeah, good character. I don't, I don't disagree. I mean, Ray Fisher kills it in there. I think the Cyborg movie, which I want now, which we're not going to get because of behind the scenes stuff going on at DC, where Ray Fisher has said he's never going to work there with anybody again other than Zack Snyder, and Snyder apparently persona on grata at DC. But I think this whole thing is. It's just so unfortunate because we could have had a good cyborg movie, and instead we had cyborg basically reduced to like computer prop in the in the Joss Whedon cut. Yeah, I definitely agree. He, he I, I would agree that he is the MVP. And, and I mentioned earlier how I wasn't happy about how they cast in Flash. I got to say, I was very surprised. I was very happy with the way he was portrayed. I think Ezra Miller did a really good job, and I'm excited to see. I don't know if it's next year or the year after, whenever that Flash movie is coming out. I'm definitely going to watch that. Yeah, that Flash movie is coming out, I think, in 20, late 2022, I believe it is. And I feel like that's going to sort of be where, and I know we all the comic fans I know are aware that, Fla- that the Flash is also has a big event called Flashpoint where he sort of messes with time and the, time, and the space-time continuum to a degree. I think we're going to... Yeah, he ruins everything. He if does. you watch the Flash TV show, he literally ruins everything at the end of every season, every time. Yeah, so they're going to do this in the movies. They're going to basically retcon it out so Ben Affleck's no longer Batman. They're going to end up changing that and changing a bunch of other things to sort of 
basically use this as a reboot for the DC universe. I feel like that's where we're going with Flash. Yeah, I, I like it and I dislike it at the same time. I like it because, you know, it, it makes the story make sense. But at the same time, it's like a cop out that Flash can just do whatever and it just works because it's Flash. And it's like, oh, how do you explain it? Well, he went back in time. You know, it's kind of like a cop out, but it, I mean, that's how the Flash's character has been for as long as I've known it. So I'm just really excited to see that because I mentioned before, I really like that show. And I'm really excited to see how they go with it, like how his dad's in jail. And I don't know if you know the backstory, but like, you know, his his dad killed his mom. He really didn't. It was, you know, no one believed him. He was a little kid. And, and like, it's a really interesting story. And the TV show goes into it really well. But it, it's a nice, really nice character. The Flash is really cool. Yeah, I think the Flash also has a great moment in this movie. especially because we see more of the time travel stuff with him a little bit where... We see the the scenario where for a brief second where the bad guys win and they the mother boxes merge and then life is getting wiped out and then Barry Allen has to basically un, like go back in time and undo it and you see the very I think it's probably the best use of slow mo in the whole film was that sequence. Yeah, they, he 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 doesn't get that in the original. He gets that one little scene where he runs and he has to touch the mother box through the hits to bring Superman back. Yeah, that's his only. That's really his only moment in the original is that. And it's just he he has some funny moments. Like, you know, he's a little comedic relief, sure. But that's his only moment in the movie. And it's like, what, 10 seconds? Yeah. Yeah, that and, like, they they, they have the running joke of him and trying to figure out who, who's faster, faster between him and Superman. That's the other big thing from the original movie. Yeah, and they have the post uh, the mid credit scene of them trying to race, which is cool. They do the same, if I remember correctly. Superman is in the... The Arrowverse. He's, I don't know who plays him in that, but a guy's good. Whoever plays him, they do the same with the Flash and him. So. I think it's Tyler Hogan. I think plays him or something like that. And they just he just had, he just got his own show too, Superman and Lois. It's yeah. called. Yeah. So like, I think the interesting thing here also, I think that the other thing that we didn't, I mean, that Snyder gets right here. I think with the benefit of time is that the CGI in this movie, which is never strengthened DC, much better here. Steppenwolf gets a major upgrade in terms of as the bad guy because he looks more menacing than he does in the first one. Where he basically looks like a very weird blue blob of goo. Yeah, I was, he looks like I don't even know how to explain what he looks like in the original, but he looks much better. And I think the biggest I, I don't know if I like this or not. I can't decide, but I know the internet is sold on it that they love it. How do you feel about the inclusion of Darkseid? I think it makes much more sense for the purpose of the story because it's sort of like. It's a parallel to the original Avengers dynamic where Loki was the bad guy, but he was working for Thanos the whole time, where it kind of doesn't right. make sense that, like, Steppenwolf is doing this on his own. And Dark's having him be, and people in the comics, that Steppenwolf sort of answers to other people. He's not really the big bad. I think having Dark side here is sort of loom as a bigger threat to what Snyder is playing for the whole DCEU. I think that makes much more sense. Yeah, he mentions Darkseid in the original cut that I watched tonight, but only once. And I think there could have been a middle ground there that would have been better where he brings him up. Maybe he's in the background for a scene or something like that, but he's not there. So there's the, you know, there's that, that fear of the bigger bad being out there kind of thing, but he's not necessarily thrown right at you. Cause I don't know. I mean, they could go with how many more justice league movies if with the success on this one, I think they can create a whole, you know, they already have created the universe, but I think they can create, you know, a, at least one or two sequels to this, Justice League movie, so I think that'd be really cool if you have the the big bad be dark side, and I think that's their plan. So I just don't know what there's a lot of like back and forth, I guess, with Snyder and DC and whether or not he's going to get the whole universe and all that stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff. Apparently, the environment there has been pretty toxic. I mean, Ray Fisher doesn't want to work there anymore. They're trying to recast Henry Cavill again. Bat like Affleck wants out. So like, I, I mean, apart from like Gal Gadot and Jason Momoa, it doesn't feel like. I think three of the six are basically going to be replaced at some point. So it's not a good long-term setup here for that. I just got to throw this in there. I don't think he really did that much in the movie, but in, in, honestly, in either cut, I don't think he, they used him enough, but Jason Momoa is the man. Yeah. There's no other way to put it. He is the coolest guy. He he, he plays the character so well. He's not really, I feel like he doesn't have as big of a role as I wish, but he's awesome and I, honestly i never saw the aquaman movie and that's next that was an, maybe i should watch one woman first i don't know but I, those are my next two whatever whatever order they come in i'm gonna watch those two yeah aquaman was enjoyable i i originally not avoid it in theaters i was so torn off like turned off by justice league but 
that movie's a lot of fun. And that's something you don't really get with a lot of these DC movies. Like, Aquaman is fun. And another one that's not really tied in yet to the bigger whole Justice League picture. But Shazam is also underrated. Yeah, I want to see Shazam. I'm going to watch Shazam definitely as well. But uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like Aquaman being like Jason Moa, the kind of humor that he brings, it kind of reminds me of Thor. Yeah, it's very similar. You see, okay, so you do see that. I mean, I, I didn't, again, I didn't see the movie, so I'm excited to see how that works out, but it seems very similar to Thor. Yeah, it's a very interesting dynamic with Aquaman, who, again, is probably the least involved in both cut in both cuts once once Cyborg gets the upgrade here. But I think, yeah, I think also, I like that they did more fan service here. I mean, we learned that uh, Martian Manhunter apparently has been in the universe the whole time. We learned that he was a character who's appeared in a couple of the Batman Superman movies. And now we have learned that he's actually Martian Manhunter. We get him in the post credits. But I think that was a good little bit of fan service to throw in there. Yeah, and it sets up more for the future, which is great. I mean, I think that's something they were lacking. Is something that, excuse me, with DC lately has been like, is this in the universe? Is this in the universe? We don't even know. Like, Joker movie came out last year and, and it was a great movie, but it has nothing to do with this. Yeah. And then the new Batman movie is coming out with um, Pattinson. Does, is that the same universe? Is that going to be Flashpoint? We don't even like it's just uh, these movies are coming out of left field and people are like, what's this movie? Like, we still have Black Adam to come. How's that going to play in? We have no idea. Like, the Birds of Prey movie, like, all this stuff with like Harley Quinn and stuff. Where, where was she? And this is the Justice League bringing everyone together. She, she, why was she not even mentioned? Like, there's a lot more to come you know you see at the end you see lex luther and and um and slave wilson so that's cool like seeing them together but like when is this all going to come together and and you know i want to say oh it's still early give them time but like it's been eight years since they came out with their first movie like eight years into the mcu we were at civil war already yeah and we yeah you still have don't even have a movie for the flash as eight years into this yeah which is a problem. Right. And, and I have to throw this in there too. I think Lex Luthor's casting is the worst thing in the entire universe. That broke also Batman versus Batman v Superman because Jesse Eisenberg. I don't mind is, the actor. I don't mind the actor. He's he miscast. Just, he doesn't, he's not, yeah, he doesn't fit as Lex Luthor. No, he's, he should have been like, if you want him to the villain, fine, do him as something else. Like, like, I feel like he would have been much more fun as the Riddler. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he fits as like a, a prequel Lex Luthor, maybe like Lex Luthor 20 years before the events, maybe. But you're looking at a Batman here, like uh, this Ben Affleck Batman is like a 20-year veteran Batman. So this is not the prequel time. If this took place like... He was in Pattinson's movie, maybe. Yeah, if this took place then, maybe, sure. Or like, you know, with a young Superman or something like that before Barry Allen's even a thought. Like that kind of stuff, that would work. That'd be fine. But it doesn't work as like the veteran Batman with the Justice League. It doesn't work there. No. I keep saying Batman. I know he's a Superman villain, but I can diffuse that easier because Batman's age easier to track than Superman. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, and that was one of the big problems with that Batman v Superman is that Lex that miscasting Jesse Eisenberg ruined Lex Luthor, and that sort of took the whole movie down a peg. And I think that movie sort of where I think the whole thing sort of spirals because that movie's bad. It's two and a half hours long. DC panics and says we can't do this again. We have to get that Justice League under two hours. So when Snyder step away, Joss Whedon comes in. He gets told, hey, tell the story in two hours. You have to be out of here two hours on the dot. And he makes his own Joss Whedon changes. We've seen some of them in the movie. I mean, we haven't talked about many of them yet, but we get like some of the tone is just so mishmash between what Joss Whedon does and what was originally filmed for the Snyder cut. And we saw like Snyder basically said that they filmed one scene with Cyborg actually made the Justice League cut where it was a scene when they're all on the rooftop, Commissioner Gordon, and that's when Cyborg first shows up. Apart from that, it's all brand new stuff for Cyborg. I think the tones being so off, they also killed that original Justice League. It was very, very different. There's no other way to put it. It was, it, you know, watching them both, I really feel like I watched two different movies. Yeah. And that's weird because it's the same movie. Yeah. Is the and yeah. Yeah, it's the same movie, but it's a different movie. Yeah, because Joss Whedon puts his Whedon touch, he tries to throw the humor in there. I mean, you can tell exactly what he put in there because he tried to be like more direct with some things. Like the, the very first scene of the original Justice League cut is the bat is Batman chasing one of the aliens and basically looking for the guys. Like I smell fear. Like that gets cut immediately from the Snyder cut. We have the scene of like 
Aquaman sitting on the lasso of truth is also cut because it's just Whedon trying to add humor in there. And all the stuff with the Flash and Superman trying to figure out who's faster, all that stuff gets cut. Like, you can see all the Whedon humor just got thrown out. Yeah, you have – DC has its tone. Marvel has its tone. And they tried to use Marvel's tone in DC. And that's not how DC works. And that's why the Snyder Cut works because it sticks to its tone. It's yeah, it's consistent the whole way through. I mean, right? It, it understands what DC is about, and it look it's how it worked out. You know, t- fifteen years ago, it had nothing to do with Marvel or DC being the dark or the light or the humor or the non-humor. But now it is. Marvel is the light humorous one. DC is the dark, serious one. Serious one. That's how it works. It's no one's fault. That's just how it is. I think it is how it is, and I think. For you watching the second one, like, was it like how jarring was it to sit there and just like watch it? You know, you only had two hours in, but seeing like scenes that you had seen already, saying, you know what, like this is just not how it should be. It was an easier watch, I'll say. Obviously, the two hours. It was an easier watch, though, being that personally, and most people completely disagree with me. I'm not a Zack Snyder fan at all. I do not like his movies. I don't at all. I hate the way he – you know more about film than I do, his his lens that he uses to make oh, everything yes. look the way it does. I hate it. I, 300 is one of my least favorite movies because I can't see anything. I feel like I can't see anything. I hated the aspect ratio in the – in the um, Snyder Cut. Yep, the 4 by 3 It just it just made me think, why isn't this stretched the whole time? Why isn't it – not stretched, but you know what I mean? Why isn't it in, 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 a, in a widescreen mode? It just – I don't agree with the way he does things personally, but it doesn't mean it wasn't better and it was better, which makes me think if they had mixed like two things together, like if he didn't use his lens and he stressed the screen out a little bit, I would have thought it was one of the greatest movies I ever saw. But the whole time I'm sitting there, I'm like, why won't he just do this? Why, why, why does he have to do this? Why does 300 need to be like, I have to do this the whole time I watch it and squint because I can't see what's going on. Yeah, that's the worst thing of the Snyder effect on the DC is that it feels like every final battle is like in the dark with really bad CGI. That's something I do think that's a major problem that they picked up from Snyder. So one more time, what was the name of that that he uses a lens? It's like I forget. It's like, like that flourish effect. Also, it's like I, I just I can't stand it. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I do. See 300, right? Yeah, and 300 like the best example of it. Yeah, he loves the slow mo. He loves the CGI in the dark, so you can uh, he can just throw as much stuff on the wall as he can, hope no one notices that it's not all doesn't all look great. So you do these giant masses of aliens or soldiers or whatever you want there. I think if you did though, get this three cut down to three hours. You had told the stories of Flash and Cyborg and Aquaman before you got to this movie, and you trimmed down some of these battles. Like you said the fifteen minute scene of Barry Allen and Iris, do that in three minutes. You make enough yeah. cuts here, I think you have a co- coherent three-hour, very interesting movie. Yeah, I think it was very well done. I think it was very like like the story and whatnot. They they one thing I definitely noticed, like the the one thing watching both cuts that I noticed like the most was the mother. Uh, what are they called? The mother, mother boxes. Boxes. They talked about them once in the in the original movie, like like as if we were supposed to just know what it is. She explains it to Batman. Uh, one woman explains it to him for like a second, and then we don't hear anything else about what they do. How they it's just like gone. We're just like, can we see this family in the middle of Russia? And we're supposed to just to know what that is. Like it's not really explained well enough, and I feel like they explain everything much in much more detail in the Snyder Cut, which makes sense why it's double the length. Yeah, and the Russian family, another Joss Whedon edition, that got the axe in the Snyder Cut. That was they, no, no no sight of them whatsoever. Yep, none and. And it's interesting that there was something that came out for the Snyder Cut, and it still was twice the length. Yeah, it's, that's that's incredible. I also think the thing also passes out is the epilogue, which I think a lot of that was new footage that they filmed because they were sort of expanding. We had the whole dream sequence with Batman's, like, like more of his dream from the Batman v Superman. I mean, the original Joss Whedon cut ends with the, super, the scene of Superman in the city, basically, like, getting ready to fly off and fight somebody. Here we get another like 15 minutes of this whole extended montage. We learn what the plans sort of were for the sequel. We see the dream where basically Superman has gone insane and been corrupted by Darkseid because Lois Lane is dead. He's somehow he's killed Aquaman and Wonder Woman, and then we have a really interesting like mod squad of Batman, Cyborg, Flash, Mara from Aquaman's world, and then Slade Wilson and Joker. Like, does that universe interest you at all? 
it confuses me more than anything, honestly. Yeah. There was too much going on. I was sitting there just like trying to listen to what the Joker was saying, and I'm more or less just like confused. Yeah. To be honest with you. So uh, does it really interest me? Uh, no. I'd rather see these heroes move forward. See, you know, I did. We, we both disagree with the casting choice for Lex Luthor, but he is he is the guy who plays him. So I want I want to see our heroes and him and Slade Wilson move forward and see what they have planned. And you know, Dark Side obviously. See, that, that's what I'm interested in seeing that, and then seeing how they can have the Flash run and recast everybody. Yeah, I think though the recast is something you can easily do. I mean. Even yeah, without even without flash shenanigans, I mean, Marvel took turned Ed Norton into Mark Ruffalo, and it worked out a lot better. They turned Terrence Howard into Don Cheadle. I mean, there's no reason they can't turn Jesse Eisenberg into a more like established Lex Luthor. The only thing they had going for them in those was they each had one film, and then they were out. Yeah. You now with him, Jesse Eisenberg is not that big of a deal. He only had what two. He's like one, and maybe a, a scene in the second one. Yeah, so was he even in Suicide Squad? I don't think he was. No, he, he's in the post-credits of, the, of okay. Justly. So he's, and he's not in Suicide Squad at all, right? No, he's not. Okay, so he's in one movie and then a scene. So he, it could happen with him, but when, when it comes to, like, Affleck and it comes to Superman, like, that's going to be tough. Yeah, because those are main... That's going to be tough. Those are, you know, main, yeah, those are main level, like, characters. Yeah, and, you know, no, no, one, no one was recasting Chris Evans. No. I think it's... So, it's going to be tough for them to do that. But again, with the flash, it's possible. Yeah. So my question also to you is like, after seeing a Snyder cut as a DC guy, would you have liked to see where Snyder takes this? Because it's not going to happen based on this world we're in right now. But what do you like? If you thought, would you be happy if they said all of a sudden, like, okay, snack Snyder's back in charge of the DC universe. And he's going to sort of carry out his vision going forward. The Snyder cut is new canon, not injustice league is sort of non-existent. Yeah. I would want to see that just because, I mean, you know, besides the length, which we've talked about before, obviously, it's a better movie. It brings more detail to the characters, shows more about them. And honestly, if they just, like, let him produce everything, maybe he doesn't have the director, then just let him produce every film and keep it with one cohesive story, it would be a better universe. It's, it's literally what Marvel does. I don't see why anyone would go against that model. You know, like, how do you possibly have an overwhelming universe with all the, with, with one, you know, majority story and possibly have different visions in there. You know, like for example, the sequel trilogy of star Wars, like how did that possibly happen? How do you possibly have different directors going in different pulling, playing tug of war, like get everyone on the same page. You know, you have a plan from the get go. That's how you, that's how you have to create these things. Yeah, you absolutely do. And I think at least you can see what happens here. I think, the Suicide Squad is a good litmus test because they had James Gunn come in. They basically re—they're unofficially rebooting Suicide Squad with some new characters, some of the holdovers. They're basically pretending the first one didn't happen. And seeing James Gunn with this character will be fun. I think that's gonna be the next big test for DC movies. See what that ends up looking like. That's gonna be interesting. That one because you don't have Will Smith in there. Yeah. Who, to be honest with you, I'm not the biggest Will Smith fan. I used to be. I like a young. I like a young Will Smith. You know, a Fresh Prince Will Smith up to, like, even, like, I Am Legend Will Smith. And then after that, I just, I don't know. That movie with his son, After Earth. Did you see that one? I did not. I mean, that, that was one of the worst movies I ever saw. But, you know, not for Will Smith, but, like, interesting. Because, like, you have Stallone in that movie and John Cena. It's going to be pretty cool. It's going to be pretty fun to see. And that comes out, I believe, this summer. Yeah, late. it comes out in August. Yeah, and James Gunn, I mean... Should be good. I, I I don't I don't know from what I've seen from James Gunn, everything's been. I haven't seen like everything he's done, but I've seen, you know, seems good. He did Guardians one, I believe, in two, right? Yeah, and he's gonna do three after he's done with this. Okay, and he and I and yeah, so it should, I mean, I love those movies. So see what he can do with it. And that's it. Seems like a similar kind of story, like the Guardians of the Galaxy, kind of seemed like a Suicide Squad in a way. Yeah, it makes it makes all the sense in the world, and yeah, like their 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 beginnings from like you know the first Guardians movie was literally in a prison, you know, so it wouldn't the Suicide Squad it kind of kind of matches up a little bit. 
Yeah, it kind of does. And that's all we're going to do on the Snyder Cut today. But we're going to be back later this week. We're rejoined by Pete Contador. The Sky Guys are coming back for season number three coverage. And I think you and I have talked off air about this, but I've got some hot takes. I feel like the Star Wars fan might come for me on some of these things. Yeah, I have told you this off the air, but I feel like when we get to the season three later on, when we do that conversation with Pete, I feel like it's almost like you're not going to be the host that time. You're going to be the one given given the analysis on there because you, you have a lot to share and so do I. I feel like they could have switched things around a little bit and made it much better, but we'll talk about that next week. Yeah, and I'm going to put this in here as a little tease for you guys to encourage you, especially those of you who've seen Clone Wars in Season 3. I'm going to put the spoiler up one more time here, so... I'm not a big fan of the Mortis arc. I know it's one of the most beloved in the history of the show, but I have issues with it, so I'm going to air those on, the, on that podcast. That's when I'm excited to hear the most out of it from, from you. So if you don't mind, when we get to that part, I'll be asking you, so Mike, how did you feel about it instead of, instead of you asking me? Yeah, oh, trust me, I have some, I have some stuff down because I have issues specifically with the characters, some of the characters in that arc, not the main three, the new three. Those are the ones I have the issues with. I'm excited to talk about it as I always am. And I'm most excited though. I know we'll get there next week. I don't want to talk Star Wars. And I know we're going to cut this this segment to an end here, but I'm really excited because I think seasons one, two, and three are like your intro seasons to Clone Wars and four and five are just top tier seasons. And I'm really excited to get into those. All right, Nick. Thanks again for all time. I really appreciate it. Yep. I will be back. And uh, thanks for having me on. All right, and that will do for this week's show. I want to thank my guest, Dandy Martini, for hopping on to talk about the Masters, get ready for that. Also, Nick Friar for joining us to break down the Snyder Cut. A lot of good stuff there. We want to stuff like this podcast, including my look at what the 17-game schedule means for the NFL. Got some ramifications to that. That got approved this week. Check out the blog over at justendthesuffering.wordpress.com. You'll subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Still search for Just End the Suffering on your favorite podcast platform. You can find all episodes there. You can also leave your feedback and star ratings. They help make the podcast even better going forward. Please do that. It does mean a lot, guys. I do appreciate it. You can also follow my YouTube channel, Mike Phillips, on YouTube. Individual conversations from the podcast are up there, including my chats with Dan and Nick. They're both going to be on YouTube on sh- shortly after the podcast releases. And you also follow me on Twitter. I'm at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. That's it for now. Coming up later this week, we're going to do another podcast. We're going to be joined by Troy Moriel, wrap up the National Championship game, all that good stuff. Joined by Phil Fryer, our legal guy as well, talking about the MLB All-Star Game move and more. Until then, a better week than UCLA fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.